Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 56 of the Essential X Lapsed. And, uh, well, we're done with the Avengers for now, so we are back in the flagship. But, uh, had we not read those Avengers issues, we would be, well, I don't think we'd be totally lost here, but, uh, we'd be a little bit more lost than we are now, I, I guess. Let's hop right in. This is X-Men number 43, which had an April 1968 cover date. We got two stories here. The first one is called The Torch is Past. The second is Call Him... Cyclops. Both were written by Roy Thomas. We got pencils by George Tusca and Warner Roth. Inks by Johns Tartaglioni and Verpoten. Or Verporten. Uh, letters, Sam Rosen, Artie Simic. Colors, eh. uh, Edit, Stan Lee. Cover price, 12 cents. Now, before we get into the issue itself here, I do want to address the cover. Um, we have talked about this uh, a little bit of late. Where the X-Men title has been shrunk <laughs> I mean, the X-Men logo is very, very tiny here And it says, the X-Men featuring, and then in huge font, the power of Magneto As we read um, last episode, during that Roy Thomas recollection This was sort of a, I don't know if it was a last-ditch effort But it was certainly an effort, all the same, to attract new readers And um, maybe get the... I don't know if it's necessarily like the stink of the X-Men off this book, but uh, I don't know. They were trying something new. They are trying something new. So, uh, yes, this one is very much the power of Magneto with a very, very tiny X-Men logo. Okay, let's get in. We open with Magneto, watching the X-Men via some weird crystal ball that's attached to a piece of Kirby tech. Now, he sees that they're currently at the funeral of their recently fallen mentor, Professor X. And the way he sees it, this would be the most opportune time to strike and take them out once and for all. Now, lest we forget that uh, Magneto is a pretty decent funeral crasher. Uh, fans and readers of my vintage will probably remember him crashing Ilyana Rasputin's funeral in uh, Uncanny 304. Anyway, he calls for Quicksilver to join him so they can, you know, do the thing. But alas, he is not currently present. Well, where might he be? Eh, we're about to find out in a little bit. First, though, let's check in with the five mourners at Charles Xavier's funeral. We got a Reverend Brown here who rattles off some blibba blabba about what a good man Chuck was, which only tells us that he, you know, never actually met him. Our heroes are beside themselves with grief and denial about the loss of their tormentor. Jean breaks down and cries, falling into Scott's arms, and he tells her, you know, have a stiff upper lip or something. That's what the professor would have wanted. Just then, Quicksilver rushes across several nearby towns and arrives at the graveyard. Doesn't take the X-Men long to notice the silver-haired speedster huffing and puffing against a nearby tree. They go to engage, while also attempting not to tip off the Reverend as to their secret identities. By now, it would appear that the word of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch leaving the Avengers and rejoining Magneto has uh, made the rounds of the superhero community. Pietro himself mentally exposits that he'd once again renounced humanity. Scott tries to lull Pietro into a false sensor, actually maybe just a regular sense of security, so that they can have a chat. But our man whooshes out a panel before that can happen. The Reverend, I mean, he notices this, of course. He asks what's going on, to which Scott informs him that, uh, you know, we just thought we saw someone we knew. Just as with the opening splash, this whole scene is being played out on yet another of Magneto's monitors. And this one's more like a flat-screen TV than a crystal ball. Now, while he's rather annoyed at what he perceives to be Quicksilver's apparent betrayal, he is steadfast that this is the most advantageous time to strike at his foes. Later on, we rejoin the X-Men as they arrive back home to their now-empty mansion. 
Jean laments that Professor X's only other two friends on the planet couldn't attend this memorial. And those friends are Fred Duncan of the FBI and Banshee. Cyclops gets them back on track because there's something they really must attend to, and it's, uh, pushing a button. This is one of those, like, in case I die, press this button sort of buttons. And so they, you know, push the button. After which, the lights dim and a video begins to play. And it's Professor X, who tells them of his illness, and how in his final days he's been working the team so hard in order to set his mind at ease about whether or not they're ready to carry the torch that he is being forced to pass. And from what he's been able to deduce, he says they are ready. Also, that all the time he spent working alone with Marvel Girl was in order to train her to use telepathy. So now Jean's like a mental double threat. He warns that Magneto's returned to Earth before explaining that he's off to stop Grotesque from blowing up the planet. Scenes shift and we're back to Island M, where Magneto is busily robbing and destroying cargo ships in the area. Now, I might be misremembering this bit, but uh, didn't Claremont once try and suggest that Magneto never actually killed anybody? If so, I wonder if he read this issue, because, I mean, he's destroying ships like a loon here. People are bound to die. And maybe, maybe I'm conflating that with something that John Byrne said about the Hulk never actually having killed anybody on any of his rampages. I don't know. You'll have to remind me if I'm, if I'm mistaken. Anyway, it's at this point where Quicksilver returns in one of Magneto's crazy crafts. And all the while, he is still whinging about how he was once an Avenger, but now he's, you know, not. Once inside, the Toad kinda nyanyas Pietro about how he's unloyal and how Magneto ought to just toss him in a sack and drown him. You know, the usual. Pietro balls up his little fist and tells Morty to shut the F up until he bounces away to go tattle on him. We keep up with Quicksilver as he reunites with Wanda, and while visions of Avengers dance in their heads, they embrace. If I ever mention how creepy and weird their relationship is? Probably, right? Uh, Wanda says she was worried that he'd left her forever. To which he replies that his place is here with her. And uh, the next thing we know, Wanda is sitting on the cold stone floor while Pietro is face down in her crotch. And um, no, I'm not joking. That's actually what's happening here. Thankfully, before things can go completely after dark, I guess, uh, Magneto stomps in to yell a bit. Toad gets in the way and suggests that Magneto, I don't know, poke out Pietro's eyes and melt off Wanda's face or something. You know, the usual. Magneto decides to use his powers to hurl poor Morty across the room, uh, and this show of power causes Quicksilver to realize that Magneto is more powerful and even more mad than ever before. Eric asks why Pietro attended Xavier's funeral, and he says that he just went out of sadness and nothing more. And uh, he did consider Xavier to be he and Wanda's only friend, he says here. Uh, he says it, you know, to himself, of course. He doesn't say it out loud, but uh, I don't understand that. That's weird. Anyway, Magneto reminds Quicksilver that he's been toiling day and night to try to find a cure for the Scarlet Witch. To which, uh, by the way, um, Wanda no longer has her hex powers. Now, I'm not sure if that was due to being shot in the head, or just some sort of lingering Avengers story beat that I'm not aware of. Pietro says that actions speak louder than words, which causes Magneto to quickly change the subject. Now, he claims that there's another cargo ship that's going to be headed their direction in a few days, and this one will have invaluable equipment on board. Wanda is kind of freaking out here. She whispers to her kissing brother that they ought to just get the F out of here. Pietro replies it's not yet time to flee. We follow Magneto up to the roof so he can be alone with his thoughts, and he exposits about how he was responsible for Wanda being shot in the head, which all Smiley reminds us happened in Avengers number 49. And this is the only footnote 
to those three issues of Avengers that we just covered. So it's it's kind of weird. I figured there'd be more play, you know, given to them. I, I don't know. Anyway, we jump ahead a few days, and that cargo ship is actually nearing Island M. And, of course, Magneto is right there waiting for it, and so he attempts to drag it on in. And you will never, ever guess who's on board this tub. It's the X-Men, which is awfully, awfully convenient. Uh, Warren claims that his parents just sent his monthly allowance, which turned out to be enough to buy them passage on the tub. He then asked Cyclops how he could be so sure that this was the cargo ship that Magneto would try and snag. And, uh, you know, maybe he ought to be asking how Cyclops knew Magneto had his eyes on cargo ships in the first place, right? Uh, Okay. Scott says it was a calculated risk, which I suppose is good enough an answer as any, and we could just move on and not think about it. Magneto, upon seeing the X-Men in their gaudy new costumes, smashes, uh, I don't know, a metal coconut on the ground, cursing his bad luck. Of course, he wants to strike at the X-Men, but he wants it on his terms. So the X-Men make their way to land via ice slide and force entry into Magneto's lab. Once inside, our baddie drops a steel girder onto Marvel Girl and Angel's heads, killing them instantly. Okay, maybe not. A beast then proves his intellect by kicking what he believes to be a non-metallic flaming stone urn torch in Magneto's direction, to which Mags reminds him that there are billions of atoms of iron in stone. So, whoops. Cyclops is the next to try and attack, but Quicksilver zooms by to knock him off his game. At which point, Magneto zaps Slim with some sort of magnetic hoodoo, uh, causing him to collapse. Thankfully, Iceman doesn't engage Iceman Plan A and try to encase anybody in ice here. You know, because that never works. Maybe he's finally getting the point. Toad then triggers a battering ram with the actual head of a ram on the end of it, and it balls over our good guys. Cyclops does manage to get in an optic blast to destroy the thing, but at this point, the damage is already done. We close out our story with Magneto electrifying the ground, frying our fivesome but good. And it almost makes you wonder why he didn't just start with that. Oh well, maybe we'll find out next time. But, true believers, we're not done yet. We do have that backup, as mentioned. It's called, call him, dot dot dot, Cyclops. And this isn't a continuation of the Origins of X-Men subseries. And uh, Smiley Stan warns all eagle-eyed letter hacks to put down their pencils because, well, they're not abandoning the format... They're just taking a one-month break from it. Now, rather than giving us the origin of Iceman, we're going to get an explanation of how Cyclops does the hoodoo that he do. And we learn here that his powers come from... The Sun. Scott's piercing brown eyes act as miniature solar batteries which store up light, just like plants do. Then, in a process just like photosynthesis, that light is converted into energy. We next learn about his visor, which has a button on the side of it to let out just the right size optic blast. It could be wide, it could be narrow, it could be big, it could be small, yada 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 yada. But that's not all he can do. He can actually use his beams to halt things. I mean, we've seen this over the past several episodes, several issues, I should say, and uh, it always looks pretty dumb. Um, He can use it to halt things, to redirect things. He can narrow it to the point of being microscopic. By golly, he could take on any threat this side of Forbush, man. And, uh, yeah, Scotty actually says that here on panel. They've got some notes for nitpickers, because uh, I guess Stan's tired of getting some really silly letters. Uh, Scott's beams generate force and not heat. And also, Scott could potentially control the width of his beams by squinting, but it's more dependable just to use the visor. And speaking of nitpickers, um, you know how some douchey letter hacks keep giving Stan and the boys grief over Scott zapping without putting his hand to the visor? Well, here's an answer for y'all. You see, for in situations where his hands are bound, 
he's got a remote button on the palm of his glove that can open and close control the visor. So, yeah, yeah, quit trying to get your no prizes, you jerks. And uh, that's kind of all we get here. Uh, they do ask what might happen if Cyclops ever ran up against the Hulk, and, uh, huh, maybe we'll discuss that uh, somewhere down the line. But that'll do it for the issue. Next episode, we got more Magneto, and the Silver Age Angel meets a Golden Age Flyer. Also, the origin of Iceman, if they remember to include it. And finally, it's Roy Thomas's last issue, so a lot to cover next time out. But that's for next time. How about we talk about this time? And there isn't much to say. <laughs> I mean, this has become one of the hardest uh, parts of the show, is trying to come up with things to say in reflection, especially when, you know, not all that much stuff goes down. Uh, I think my main takeaway... I did enjoy the issue. I did like it. I thought it was fun. But I really can't ignore the fact that some very, very convenient stuff happened here, right? Uh, Everything seemed to fall into place a bit too easily. I mean, the cargo ship, the X-Men are there. How? Why? How did they... um, I don't know. We could go back to our usual get-out-of-jail-free card and just blame the silver-aginess of the thing on it. Or maybe we can say that uh, Roy Thomas already had one foot out the door as a writer at this point and just wants to get this issue out of the way so he can dredge up a Golden Age nobody that nobody but him cares about next issue before leaving. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. Like I said, though, I did enjoy it. The backup might have been a complete waste of time, but uh, the lead story was good enough here. What was perhaps most surprising to me about this issue was how little mind was paid to those three issues of Avengers we just covered. I really was expecting a fair amount more exposition, and more than just one footnote referring us over to, you know, Earth's Mightiest there. Uh, maybe even having the X-Men receive a memo or something from Goliath warning that the Maximovs have turned heel. I don't know. I, I just wonder what the reader of the day might be thinking if they weren't reading Avengers. It's, it's just a little bit odd to me how Marvel books of this vintage can go from being, like, wildly specific about their references and, like, really, you know, giving us a sense of cohesion to... Not. I mean, here, if you were just reading X-Men, you'd be like, a little bit lost, right? Um, Maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. Maybe it's hindsight. Maybe it's just the continuity fiend in me that uh, keeps, you know, nipping at the back of my mind here and uh, won't let this thing go. But like I said, decent enough issue. (laughs) I thought it was okay. I am looking forward to getting into the next phase of the X-Men, though. Uh, Roy will give us uh, Red Raven next time from the Golden Age and then be on his merry way. And from there, Roy's roommate, Gary Friedrich, will step into the writer's seat. So um, I'm actually quite excited to get into that phase because I couldn't tell you the last time I read those issues, or even if I actually read them at all rather than just uh, skimming them, you know, just to get to where the the stories get good. So this is going to be very, very interesting, and I'm very excited to share that with you all. But that's the story, or our stories. Uh, Let's hop into the letters page here. We're going to start with Bill in Alberta. Now, he loved issue number 39 and goes on about how much he loved it at great length without actually telling us anything about the story itself. He's just like, I loved it. I loved it. It was great. It was wonderful. It was a marvel. It was was stupendous. Okay. Uh, He was also happy to see the new X-Men costumes and doesn't want them to ever change from these. Stan thanks old Willie and asks him to confirm whether or not he liked the issue. So... Yada yada. Uh, Harvey in Brooklyn likes the look of the new costumes, but doesn't like that the X-Men no longer look like a team. Stan compares these uniforms to those of the Avengers, who don't really have a team uniform. Well, until, you know, the mid to late 90s when the bomber jackets come into play. 
Uh, next up, David in Missouri sends his second missive in, and he begins by calling back to his first letter and the reply he'd received from Stan, stating that uh, Stan hoped that he'd like the new costumes. Well, anybody want to know if uh, David liked the costumes? I, I know, we're on, we're on bated breath here, but uh, David didn't actually like them. He, wait for it, loved them. And he says that these mod threads have made history in the world of comics, and then says that X-Men number 39 was the most action-packed anything he's ever read. He wraps up by giving his apologies and regrets to Brand Ech, who couldn't even hope to keep up. And uh, Stan says that uh, he's received a lot of nice words about the costumes, and he just says that it hope- he hopes it doesn't go to Jeannie's head to the point where she quits the team and goes full-time into fashion. Ken in Washington says number 39 shows that the X-Men are both the strangest and greatest fighting team in comics. Though he does say that he felt insulted that they included cover copy that read, New Costumes! And he claims that true fans of the X-Men would have noticed that immediately without the hand twitch. <laughs> Come on, dude. Um, he wants Gene to get more action. He is so happy that Magneto is gone, and he hopes he never comes back. Well, about that. Hmm. Uh, Stan says that Magneto might be back, but he's not near as deadly a foe as Forbushman. And while on that subject, you could buy Not Brand Ech number 8 next week, true believer. Next up, Craig in L.A. loved, loved issue 39. He'd like the Banshee to become an honorary member of the X-Men. He enjoyed the origin of Cyclops' backup and thought Werner's art was great here. And he comes with a question. He says, hey, how does Iceman throw ice balls while wearing gloves? Stan says he dare not spoil the Iceman quandary so close to the origin of Iceman backup feature, which kicks off next issue. Charles in Phoenix hates the new costumes, especially Angels. He says they belong at brand Ech. He says it's an insult to the mature readers to have to illustrate that the X-Men are individuals by giving them gaudy, unique costumes. And he bitches about this for another paragraph before running out of steam. Now, Stan kind of argues himself in knots talking about the Green Bay Packers before begging Charles to stick around because there's big stuff coming. Pauline in Massachusetts is writing in somewhat reluctantly. Uh, she's embarrassed to be writing in because, first of all, she's a g g g g g girl Second, she's a mother of five. And third, a possessor of a master's in English lit. But she can't help herself. She just loves Marvel Comics. To which Stan says, get over yourself and just embrace it. Finally, we've got Guy H. Lillian in Berkeley, California's fifth letter. I believe uh, this makes Guy the most prolific letter hack of the series so far. Now, he moved from somewhere in California to Berkeley, which uh, kind of threw off my little Excel spreadsheet, but uh, we'll forgive him. Now, he says that number 39 was the best issue yet. He says that the Mutant Master Alien reveal threw him for a loop. He suggests that Rascally Roy crammed more quality into the five-page backup than many writers can fit into a novel-sized epic. He likes the new costumes, but says it might take him a little while to get used to them. He does like Marvel Girl's costume the best of all, because he says it makes her look like a girl, and not one of the boys. Cyclops is still his favorite character, X-Men is still his favorite comic, and, uh, well, that's about it. Stan, thanks, Guy, for the letter, and, uh... Well, those are the letters. Let's hop into the bullpen here, also known as, here it is, proof positive that the biggest brains at Marvel don't know what they're doing. Item. You know how we just gave Captain America and the Hulk their own titles? Well, hold on to your hats, because Iron Man and Submariner are the next Merry Marvels to get their own ongoings. 
Item! That's not all, folks. There's a third new ongoing to announce. Captain Marvel is graduating from Marvel Superheroes into his own self-titled series. Item! So what does this mean for Marvel Superheroes? Well, we're so glad you asked. Stan's going to actually use this giant-sized 25-cent mag as a vehicle for experiments. At least for the next little while before it falls back into reprint territory. Now, the first post-Captain Marvel issue of Marvel Superheroes will feature a brand new full-length Spider-Man epic. Item, Marvel ain't done yet. It's a veritable Marvel explosion. Stan's got a question for you. You all like to laugh? Well, (laughs) maybe try Marvel's new uh, groovy magazine anyway. Item, it's a letter from Josh in Philly. Now, uh, Josh works in a hospital, and he regularly gives out his Marvel doubles to the patients there in order to keep them entertained and less lonely. Now, he's writing to ask that anybody with doubles consider giving them to hospitals, and he thanks everyone in advance. You see, Stan loves this idea, and he even suggests that you bring any comics or periodicals to the hospital to help bring the patients some joy. And I would suggest that that is a timeless idea, and definitely a worthwhile cause. Uh, In the wrap-up, Stan promises more surprises next issue, and the final MMMS rank? I I thought we already did that. Okay. Uh, Stan's soapbox. Stan promises that 1968 will be the year of Marvel, and that in the next bullpen bulletin page, there will be even more new titles announced. He says that college professors are now using Marvel mags in their English lit classes as supplemental material. And, you know, speaking of which, uh, Reggie and I received a letter some years ago from someone who cited an episode of Weird Comics History for a college paper, which, I tell you what, was equal parts awesome, humbling, and horrifying. Uh, Stan promises that one of the mags that they're currently working on in secret will change the whole complexion of the comic book format, so we will all stay tuned to that. Next, we got the mighty, mighty Marvel checklist, and we're going to kick it off with not brand ugh number seven, which is still available, believe it or not. Fantastic Four number 74 features Galactus and the Silver Surfer. Spider-Man number 60 has Spidey in a life-and-death battle with the Kingpin. Avengers number 51, Goliath grows again. Thor versus Iron Man and the Collector strikes. Also, Hawkeye is probably still crying about Captain America walking out on them several issues before. Daredevil 39 has Daredevil vs. the Exterminator. Also, the returns of Ape Man, Birdman, and Catman. Oi. Thor 151. Thor gets his mojo back and fights the Destroyer and Ulick. Captain America 101. The Red Skull lives again. Incredible Hulk 103. Betrayed by Rick Jones. And also, enter the Space Parasite. Iron Man number one has Shellhead versus AIM, also the origin of Iron Man, retold. Submariner number one, the origin of Submariner, retold. Captain Marvel number one continues his battle with the Sentry, not that Sentry, from Marvel superheroes. Strange Tales 168 has Jimmy Woo joining S.H.I.E.L.D. and Doc Strange taking on Yandroth. Sergeant Fury number 53, the Howlers attempt to capture Hitler's right-hand man. Captain Savage number two is still available for like the, what, fifth month in a row now? Marvel Superheroes number 14 has that promised brand new Spider-Man story, plus reprints, Captain America, Namor, and Human Torch. Speaking of reprints, Collector's Items Classics 14, Marvel Tales 14, more reprints. Finally, we got our MMMS box with 26 new members, and uh, unfortunately, none of them stand out. Not even anyone I can make a silly and unfunny joke about. 
but that's our issue and um, let's do a DCBS update I'm sorry about these but uh, it's been it's been on my mind of late uh, especially since I've had to track down so many books that uh, I thought were just gonna be coming to my house now my only update is that uh, I'm still missing two books from November that I have not been able to track down I did stop at another shop yesterday because I had to pick up that uh, Miles Morales issue for for Weblapsed, but um, I'm looking for Amazing Spider-Man number 80 and Trial of Magneto number 4 for our current year shows, and uh, Spidey 80, I can't find that anywhere. Trial of Magneto number 4, though, there were five copies left on the stand, and uh, they were all the variant cover. I, I don't want to repeat myself. You guys know I hate repeating myself, despite the fact that I constantly do just that. But why? Why do we have variants when it seems like people want the main real cover? I mean, all the scraps are the variants every single time out. We've been talking about this quite a bit at the Facebook group. That's uh, 90s X-Men on Facebook. I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on this subject, but... Uh, we're tossing theories back and forth about why this is, how this can be this way, how the tables have kind of turned on, you know, people wanting the real cover, and yet Marvel, DC, the indies, they're still putting out cover B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and so on. It's friggin' ridiculous. So um, if anybody listening is a fan of variants here, I'm not going to judge you. You buy what you like. It's your money. You buy whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, you buy it. But if you're a variant fan, please do me a favor and buy the damn variant and not the real cover. Leave the real cover for those of us who don't want the variants, please. Like I said last episode, you know, I love Dan Jurgens, but uh, I don't need a variant pin-up Dan Jurgens cover of Spider-Man swinging through the city. I don't need that. You don't need that. Nobody needs that. And while on the subject of the current year variant glut, uh, I am trying to backfill some Fantastic Four right now, and... Uh, so I went to the back issue bin looking for uh, Fantastic Four volume, whatever they're on now, number four. And there were about six or seven copies of it in the bin, all variant covers. So curious, I kept flipping through. I was going through the entire run of Fantastic Four, and out of the probably 50 or 60 back issues they had from this current volume, I think I saw three regular covers. All the rest were variants. This is ridiculous. This is out of control. I, 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 I'm basically barking at a cloud here, and of course this is all anecdotal, but uh, retailers of the world, please stop ordering so many variant covers. <laughs> just, just buy the real cover. We really shouldn't be rewarding the bad behavior of the comics industry. And of course, I am just a jackass with a microphone. I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about the inner workings, so take anything I say as just the petulant whingings of an idiot. Anyway, hopefully that's the last time you have to hear me complaining about that, at least for the foreseeable future. I'm sure I will eventually complain about that again, but uh, hopefully not for a while. Uh, let's hop into the mailbag here, because I actually got access to the Weird Comics History Gmail again, so that's a very good thing. It was a quick, quick in and out this time. But we got one letter from Billy D talking about X-Men 42. He says, hey Chris, it's great to hear you back on these <clears throat> interesting stories. They may not be that much fun, but listening to you talk about them is fun for me. Looking forward to more, but until then, make mine grotesque. And you know, that makes me wonder if we're going to have to cover that grotesque issue of uh, Ms. Marvel that comes out in 1977. I wonder if there's any mutant or Xness in there. I know Deathbird shows up in there and Mystique shows up in there. Maybe, maybe we'll have to actually cover grotesque again, which 
Oh boy, you know, part of me is uh, dreading that And part of me is really looking forward to it So uh, (laughs) we'll see how that goes But thank you so much for listening And for writing in, Billy It really means a lot to me Uh, Speaking of things that mean a lot to me here Let's head into the shoutouts here Where I thank the folks who acknowledge that this show exists on social media Okay, over on Twitter I want to thank Billy D Chris Bailey of the Between the Pages blog Andrew in Belfast, Walt Nealon, Dave Schultz, Jesse DeYoung, Ed Moore, Radioactive Dinosaur, Professor Allen, and Al Sedano. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jeremiah, Chris Bailey, Billy D, Pat Sampson, Jesse DeYoung, Joe Crawford, and Walt Nealand. Over to Instagram, I want to thank Joe Crawford, Mark Jagger, The Positive Fan, X-Men Revisited, J Mama Zadang, Mint Condition Podcast, Sal Cross, and Dewey Cassell. While we're thanking folks, the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed, I'd like to thank Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. As always, I cannot begin to thank you all enough for believing in me and for your support. It really does mean more to me than I can put into words, so thank you all so, so much. But that's going to do it for now. Let's hop into contact information. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for any reason at all, maybe you want to tell me I'm an idiot for not liking variant covers. Maybe you're going to say, hey, I hate variants too. (laughs) Or maybe you just want to talk about the weather. In any event, I'm here for you. So please consider reaching out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men. Of course, you can find the full audio archives on any podcasting application at Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill or chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And finally, the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlabs. You can find exclusive content, behind-the-scenes stuff, and a great group of folks to chat with. But I think that's where I'll zip of the lip for today. I would like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your day with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.